Good evening. Can you hear me? Okay. You can hear me okay? He told me, is that ready? Okay. Closer to me? Is that better? Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the 2019-2020 Citizenship um, Writing Awards. Um, this is the SMAC um, District Contest. And I thought that I would explain to you, sometimes we don't know what SMAC PTA is. And what that is, is um, it's the district level of the PTA, who is the go-between the schools, local PTAs, and the state PTA. So um, I wish I could tell you how long this contest has gone on. It's gone on for quite a long time. Um, I have been um, doing this position for six years now, and I love it. And um, I'm, I get really, really, um, when I kind of think, so, so many of you in here probably belong to the PTA and you do your role at your school. And I can't express enough um, if you could do whatever you can to help to make sure the arts are promoted at your school. Because of these PTA positions at your school, this is why we have this nice awards um, contest without them stepping up, we um, we wouldn't have this. There's so many writers, um, and there isn't a place for our kids to be acknowledged and awarded for um, writing. The Citizenship um, Awards Contest awards you on um, pulling the heartstrings about the theme. So you're judged on, did you write to the theme? Um, and so every year, there, there's some very, very... Um, wonderful sensitive poems and essays that get turned in. I have to say that in middle school um, it gets pretty deep and so um, if you're not reading what your kids are writing it might be um, a good idea and also just so you know if I um, see anything that when I read them um, sometimes I reach out to parents and just make sure that you're all um, Reading, reading what your kids are writing. My son is a writer. I didn't even know he was. I didn't know he was going to go off and become a creative writer. And um, I've never read anything that <laughs> he's written since the second grade. So um, I do know some of them keep their private thoughts and um, close to their heart. We only had um, 15 schools enter this year, and that kind of saddens me. So I need to figure out a way to um, promote the contest more if any of you um, want to go and tell your school how important you think this is. Um, we'd appreciate it. Tell your principal. I do have to um, give a shout out to Dr. Dane who um, made sure when there weren't any participants this year, he, uh, I don't know what he did, <laughs> but there were contestants and we received writings from Shawnee Mission South. So I thank you. And are there any chairs here? Um, the citizenship local chairs, are any of you here tonight? Would you just mind standing? Because without this contest, without you, we couldn't have this contest. Thank you. And our, and our principals, you make this happen for us. So without you, we wouldn't have this contest either. So um, I'm going to start 
Well, I also want to acknowledge um, Lori Stanziola. She does the uh, Reflections Contest, and together we're a team to make this happen. And she um, designed the logo that's on our medals that you'll see and um, for the SMAC PTA, and she also made... Uh, she also designed, well, had a uh, Angela Milo um, saying put on the journals this year normally that we've upgraded the journals. So if any of you have won before, you'll know that this is really, really nice. We don't have the engraved pens this year, but I think that everybody that's winning one of these will be very, very satisfied. Um, so what we're going to do is start with the Awards of Merit. And um, here we go. So for fifth grade poem, we have Brooklyn Rye from Pawnee Elementary. Fifth grade essay, we have Ella Gray from Brookwood Elementary. Sixth grade poem, Sierra Nelson from Rose Hill Elementary. Sixth grade essay, Natalie Jones from Brookwood Elementary. Ninth grade poem, whoops, I'm sorry. Tenth grade poem, Miriam Clapper from Shawnee Mission South High School. <laughs> Tenth grade essay, Jacob Sell from Shawnee Mission Northwest High School. Twelfth grade poem, Nick Strahl from Shawnee Mission Northwest High School. Twelfth grade essay, Anna Crane from Shawnee Mission South High School. And these are your award of merit, award-winning writers for the Shawnee Mission School District um, um, writing contest. So if you would all take two steps back, if you could take two steps back and then we'll bring the Award of Excellence. We have fifth grade poem, Caroline Graham, Brookwood Elementary. Fifth grade essay, J.C. Lind, Blue Jacket Flint Elementary. Sixth grade poem, Gabriela Gonzalez, East Antioch Elementary. Sixth grade essay, Marley Risco, Rose Hill Elementary. She may not be here. Sorry about that. Seventh grade essay, Greta Kelly, Westridge Middle School. Eighth grade essay, 
Nathan Phillips, Westridge Middle School. Tenth grade poem, Campbell Wood, Shawnee Mission East High School. Tenth grade essay, Kalia Peterson, Shawnee Mission South High School. Eleventh grade poem, Grace Rippey, Shawnee Mission Northwest High School. Eleventh grade essay, Amelia Gibbs, Shawnee Mission East High School. Twelfth grade poem, Trinity Martin, Shawnee Mission South High School. That's everybody, correct? So here are your 2019-2020 Award of Excellence award-winning writers. So what we will do is we're going to um, take photos with um, the board, and afterwards we have a reception uh, out over in the lobby. There's also, um, there's, Lemonade and water over there. There happens. To, I think some of you have already discovered the hot chocolate bar out front. We have cookies over there, and then all of the um, certificates and your prizes are. Um, you'll figure it out when you get over there. So thank you, um, everyone, for coming tonight to celebrate. Where um, please help us keep this wonderful program going, and um, have a good school year, everyone. Thank you.
Welcome to the February 10th, 2020 regular Board of Education meeting. Our first item of business is the Pledge of Allegiance and the kiddos from Rising Star joining us the evening, this evening to lead us in the, the pledge. Christy Darby and I am the principal of the fabulous Rising Star and I have brought my stars tonight, my star Stuco, and so I will have them come up uh, and introduce themselves. Come on, Tristan. I'm Tristan DeBose and I'm the Stuco, I'm the student body president. I'm Samantha Estes and I'm the sixth grade class representative. I made it known and I'm a class representative. I'm Brennan, and I'm a sixth grade representative. Andre Whitaker, I'm in fifth grade, and I'm the secretary. I'm Lucy Snyder, I'm in fifth grade, and I'm the uh, vice president. My name is Sarah Glassby, and I'm a fifth grade class representative. I'm Jeremiah Amigo, and I am a, mm, I'm a representative. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Kira MacGyver, I'm a fifth grade representative. My name is Amelia Hanson, I'm a fourth grade class representative. My name is Dayuta Mayun, and I am a fourth grade class representative. Thank you very much, you guys, for coming tonight. <laughs> The next item on the agenda is the adoption of the agenda. I'll seek a motion to adopt. Move to adopt. And is there a second? Second. So moved by Brad and seconded by Laura. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Aye. Sorry, I need to go a little slower so we can hear Jessica and Sarah who are joining us on the phone this evening. Um, so that passes unanimously. The next item on the agenda is the approval of the minutes of the regular meeting January 27th, 2020. I move approval. Moved by Mary. Second. Seconded by Laura. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Okay, 7-0. The next item is the approval of the minutes of the special meeting on January 30th, 2020. I'll seek a motion. I move approval. Moved by Mary. Second. Seconded by Brad. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Are there any opposed? No, move 7-0. The next item on the agenda is the superintendent report from Dr. Fulton, 2.1. Okay, thank you very much. Great to see everybody this evening. Thank you for coming out. I want to start off by uh, saying a thank you to the students, the, uh, the Shawnee Mission Area Council PTA, teachers, volunteers, and family members who made tonight's citizenship ceremony possible. That occurred, by the way, at 5.30 prior to uh, the start of this meeting. We are thrilled... We were thrilled to recognize these students along with our Reflections Contest honorees who we celebrated in January. So congratulations again to all the students who were recognized. Eleven students at Horizons were recently surprised with the news that they have received scholarship offers through Scholarship Shawnee Mission. 
The Shawnee Mission Education Foundation announced that students had received a total of $572,000 in scholarship offers from Newman University. As you may recall, the foundation launched this program in the fall. So far, pardon me, so far more than 1,200 seniors have been presented with scholarship offers valued at more than $700 million. Of course, they won't be able to accept all, take all that money, but that is money that they've been offered. Uh, and that does not include the most recent announcement. Through the program, students are identified and recruited by colleges and universities around the country, making it easier for them to navigate the admission and application process. So we, we thank the foundation for all of their great work uh, in helping our students get scholarships. Gabriel Matthew, a fourth grader at Broken Arrow Elementary, was selected as a semifinalist in the Mars 2020 Name the Rover contest. His entry was selected as a Kansas winner in the elementary school category. He wrote an essay in support of the name Jivan, which is a word that means life. More than 28,000 essays were submitted by K-12 students in this competition. In 2009, it was a Shawnee Mission Elementary student, Clara May, who won the Mars Science Laboratory Naming Contest. She named the rover Curiosity. So congratulations to our students. Isha Bosar, a seventh grader at Indian Hills Middle School, won the Johnson County Spelling Bee. She now advances to the State Spelling Bee, which will be held in March. She is a veteran speller who competed last year in both the State and Scripps National Spelling Bee. So we wish her the best as she spells her way to success. The National Center for Women and Information Technology will recognize three Shawnee Mission students for their accomplishments in computing and technology. Hannah Poe, a sophomore at Shawnee Mission South, will receive an award for aspirations in computing. Elise Lovell, a Shawnee Mission South senior, will receive an honorable mention. Lindsay Chu, a Shawnee Mission South High School junior will receive a Rising Star Award. They are being acknowledged for their outstanding aptitude and interest in technology and computing, leadership ability, academic history, and plans for post-secondary education. And then finally, the Shawnee Mission broadcasting students will soon present live broadcasts of Shawnee Mission High School basketball games. This Friday, February 14th, they will present games between Shawnee Mission Northwest and, the Shawnee, and Shawnee Mission West. The girls game begins at approximately 5.30 and the boys game begins at approximately 7 p.m. Links to the broadcast will be shared on the district website and on Facebook and Twitter. And that concludes my report this evening. The next item on the agenda is the board reports. Um, let me pull up who is first. Um, Jamie with SMAC PTA, can you, do you have a board report for us? I do, yeah. First of all, thank you so much to SMAC PTA for the warm welcome. It was my first meeting with SMAC. And um, I also wanted to just tell them well done tonight on the Citizenship Awards. That was a committee that I led for many years at Rising Star, so it's fun to see that um, and honor those kids tonight with citizenship. Um, just a couple announcements with SMAC. There are some really great volunteer opportunities to serve at the clothing exchange. Um, probably for some older folks, not maybe not
not kids. Um, so if you ha have an interest in perhaps serving in this capacity where you're opening the clothing center and just greeting people as they come in, um, that would be amazing. And they are adding the hours to better serve families in need. So that's wonderful for everybody. So if everyone could check their calendars and pitch in, that would be amazing. Um, they're also planning the Kansas PTA convention May 1st through 3rd. Any PTA member is um, can attend. And so if your calendar is open anytime May 1st through 3rd, um, there are some great speakers discussing some parental topics. So that's it. Thank you. Um, normally I turn to uh, Dr. Sinclair for a foundation report, but. I um, due to the ongoing transition, I'm still kind of filling in that role. And uh, Dr. Fulton already kind of gave us the update with regards to the scholarship awards, so we will move on from that um, and move to uh, Reverend Guy from KSB Board of Directors. Do you have an update for everybody? Uh, we'll just let you know we have our next board meeting March 6th and 7th, and it will be in Lawrence. Uh, they have a tradition of the spring meeting being in the school district of the board president of KSB. So it's Shannon Kimball who is on the Lawrence board and so we will be having our meeting there. We'll be touring the schools on Friday and then having our board meeting on Saturday. And then I already spoke about the women's leadership conference that's coming up March 24th and or 25th and 26th I believe. And then um, I hope all of us have on our calendars April 9th. That'll be the next spring roundtable that they're going to do in Olathe. This is something they do uh, several times a year, and we get together with the other board members from other school districts in the area, and it's a great time for KSB to hear um, the issues that are important to us and give us information at that time as well. So that will be April 9th, and I'm planning to go, and I hope others will join me at that as well. And that's all I have to report. Thank you. Um, Dr. Sinclair, do you have a KSB legislative <coughs> update? Um, the committee uh, does not meet once the legislative session has started, but I would direct um, folks to the KASB.org um, website, and I will defer the legislative update to Dr. Little, who is here this evening. Great. Thank you. Um, Finance and Facilities Committee, I don't believe we have an update on that yet, do we, Brad, or, or Mr. Stratton? My apologies. No, we don't. The, the group has been notified, and um, we will be setting our first meeting date shortly. Okay. Um, Mrs. Goodburn, do you have an update for us on the Policy Review Committee? No update. Okay. And then the Real World Learning Task Force, I need to appoint someone to be on that, as Deb Zeal is no longer with us, and I am appointing Jamie um, Workman to that, and you're able and willing to take on additional stuff? Yes, I am. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And may I make a comment about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, later on in the agenda under consent, you have um, a request related to travel uh, as part of the Real World Learning Task Force. You know, that task force is conducting research and developing recommendations to how to expand coursework, internships, and business partnerships at the high school level. That work is funded by a grant from the Kauffman Foundation, agenda item 4.07 under consent, recommends approval of funds to support site visits to innovative school districts that meaningfully engage students in college and career preparation. The site visits are funded entirely by our grant from the Kauffman Foundation, no district monies are used, but this is a great 
effort, not just for Shawnee Mission, but for the entire Kansas City metropolitan area. There are 15 school districts currently participating, and that is going to expand. I, I don't I hate to put a number out because I'd have to hear that from Kaufman, but it truly is becoming a six-county metropolitan uh, area-wide effort to see what we can do to help uh, students be prepared for um, for the, the learning that they're going to engage in for the rest of their lives. Thank you. And moving on to item 2.3, looks like this is our legislative update from Mr. Stuart Little. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the uh, chance to come and talk with you all tonight. Um, I'll, you've got a written report. It should be posted on the website, if not already. Uh, tomorrow I will uh, talk from that document and give you the, the updates that we have going on. I'm happy to answer any questions as, um, um, as they arise. Please feel free to interrupt. I, I've provided you a general update. As usual, there's a little paragraph about Medicaid expansion. We could spend a lot of time talking about that, but we'll move on. Uh, the couple of things that I wanted to mention, a couple of issues that have come up. We're still in the midst of, of dealing with the, 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 the at-risk funding, results of the post-audit, those kinds of things. And the, one, of the, one of the bills that's, that's fairly essential for us, getting the sunset repealed on the high-density at-risk, is in the Senate Education Committee. It still sits in that committee, and at some point it's going to come forward out of there. There's enough folks that care about that. But we're also getting more and more engaged in a conversation as a result of the post-audit about at-risk. And this afternoon at 3.30, the House K-12 Budget Committee spent time looking at, at a bill, uh, 2540, that includes some expanded provisions on, uh, re-codifies and, and kind of strengthens the wording with regard to the requirement that uh, at-risk funds must be spent on at-risk uh, students and then also requires a new reporting obligation onto the, the state, which would be onto the district, which would be reporting uh, student performance and achievement specifically within those programs. And so we're kind of in this mix now where there's a lot, and there's a couple of other bills floating around about that. We're in a mix now where we're beginning to talk about after a couple of years ago when probably would probably want, if we had a chance to ponder what the words we put into the statutes a few years ago in terms of specifically that connection between at-risk funds generated by pupils and at-risk funds being spent on pupils that may not be the somewhat same pupils that generate it is, is a challenge. And we're now required to, to be using with the state board's designation of what those programs would be and connect those up. We're going to be wrestling with for a while this session about uh, uh, legislators who want, want to see that connection made very clearly as part of, I think, trying to uh, justify for, for them, for f some folks, the investment that was put in in the Gannon dollars, but also how does that brush up against the reality of a classroom where, you know, whether it's 60% or whether it's 20% of the kids that are at risk in there, what dollars are being spent in that classroom. And that's, that's a subtlety that has not yet found a home in Topeka in terms of folks talking about how are we going to implement this in policy. So we had a hearing on one of those bills today that's going to, that would have that kind of an impact. I'll hit a couple of other bills that are in, the, in here worth noting. We had entered testimony on a bill that the Attorney General had introduced that was going to uh, eliminate our capacity to engage in contingency fee lawsuits. And this was related to the lawsuits against Juul, some of the cities that had sued uh, open 
opioid manufacturers and those kind of things. And the Attorney General, his issue was at some point there's a state level issue, and if you have a bunch of litigation at, at, at local government levels, how does that impact the state? How does that deal? How does that uh, impact, for example, the tobacco settlement lawsuit from from 15, 20, or 20 years ago now at this point, that and the impact if there would have been a lot of smaller lawsuits and carved up the pie, what would that have done to that? So this, the, the Attorney General's come up with a compromise that he's still going to have the ability to intervene if there's an overarching, overarching state interest, but you'll still have the ability to do that litigation. It will be sent to the Attorney General and there, he would have to not approve it, but if he decided there was a state interest, he might come in. But there's also special provisions that take out collections issues and those kind of things. But that's one that we had testimony on. I just wanted to follow up with that. Um, one min- bill that I mentioned last time was here was Senate Bill 299 that has to do with uh, elections, and it was a bill that came out of uh, Manhattan that was going to put school districts of, with over 5,000 students under the state... Um, laws with regard to campaign finance and those kinds of issues. So instead of the rules you currently have now and you report campaign contributions at the end of the year, this would have made it just like a, a, um, a, a legislative race, a House legislative race where you would have reporting caps, you would have reporting requirements, and it came out of Manhattan where there was a do- desire to get greater transparency and greater public information about who's running for office, who's financing their campaigns and those kind of things. When I got up here the last time and mentioned it does have provisions in it about partisan elections. This bill does not make these make school board elections partisan elections. It makes them uh, it has provisions if they were to be partisan that they would have a primary. But uh, this is uh, kicking around and I think it opens up an interesting conversation. I don't know that this bill is going to pass but some conversation about elections and campaign reporting in school board elections. I think we're probably not done with that conversation. Um, there is a bill that we are, uh, to, probably three other bills I would mention. Uh, there's been a, uh, a, a new bill this year, 2465, which is part of the, the low-income student scholarship bill the essentially the scholarship program that we've had for about three years now. I'll talk briefly about that, but there's another bill coming up on, on Thursday that is a reading readiness program bill, which essentially if a, dis, if, if a third or fourth grader uh, tests at below grade level in, in, in reading, that they would then be eligible for a, a essentially a voucher, a, a, a payment made for the base state aid per pupil to an account set up in the state treasurer's office and then their funds would be expended out of that account at a private school, a non-public school. And that would, and so if you meet that criteria and then you get that until you're 21 years old or until you graduate from high school, so you would have that that ongoing uh, uh, account. Now if a student was at that third and fourth grade below grade level and they chose not to go to the private school, whether or not they were at risk the school district would get the weighting for at risk at 4.8% at risk that would get added in. So it has something that would keep a, a, a student in a, if they stay there, the district would get those resources. The challenging thing about that legislation is if you stay in the public school 
the school district has a requirement that you um, participate in at-risk programs, that the data is collected, that you demonstrate that you've invested and targeted those at-risk district students there. If you're in the private school, none of those obligations will, will apply. So you'd get your voucher for being below reading level, take it to your private school, and then you wouldn't have to comply with the at-risk requirement. So there's a number of issues with that. The bill uh, has a hearing on Thursday. And then I would mention the companion piece to that. I left the House K-12 Education Budget Committee that started at 3.30 to get here, and as I got in my car, my staff person who was there texted me that they're taking up the scholarship bill. So um, the House Committee, the scholarship bill, which is 2465, and it's in their report, which is the one that's been there. They had a proposal. We had a hearing on it a week ago. We offered testimony in opposition to the bill because it essentially does two things. It expands the population who's eligible for this scholarship program from, from, from at-risk or from, from uh, free lunch to free and reduced lunch, which adds, I think, about 20,000 pupils maybe. And it eliminates the requirement that the, the student attends a low-performing school. It was originally a low perform, from a low-performing school district, and it was 100 lowest-performing school districts, and then last year it became the 100 lowest-performing elementary schools, and now they take out any school. So if you're at any, you don't, the, the principle was this is for kids who are in low-performing schools, giving them a voucher to, to have another alternative to a non-public non school. And uh, that was the principle. We've essentially taken all of those components now, and now it's a matter of if you're free or at risk, which is a you know, $34,000 somewhere family income threshold, then you would be eligible for the, for the scholarship uh, without regard to where you uh, you were. And after about an hour's debate, that bill passed out of the House K-12 committee, 8 to 12. It'll be on the House floor at some point, and um, we will uh, attempt to address it then. Two other things I would mention. Um, there is a, a, an I a issue that just arose in the last couple of uh, last. Last few days, early last week, we knew it was coming, and I sent it over to the, to the administration today. Um, there's a, a, a vaccination bill that was introduced on Friday, and we finally saw what it does. Uh, and it is, it is an attempt to put into, and, it, and it, by the way, it has a hearing on Thursday. We got it today. So there's a hearing on Thursday on the bill uh, in the, the uh, House Education Committee. So the Education Committee is hearing a bill about vaccinations. But what it does is it articulates in, into law the vaccinations that are required uh, for uh, attendance in school, and uh, it, it allows the the uh, uh, the secretary of KDHE to uh, make suggestions to what would be changed, and so we have this kind of set list. Well, the issue with that is that currently. Um, vaccinations are set by rules and regulations so that you can be flexible and so you can make adjustments say there's a pandemic in China and we get a vaccination and we, we don't have to wait until the next legislative session to get approval to add an immunization to a uh, statute and, and hope that it gets done by the end of the session in May. And so there's some pretty serious implications about this. What it also does, frankly, is it will politicize what's on the list and what isn't, and it will become part of a public policy debate, not a health care debate. And so there's a hearing on, uh, on Thursday, and I just wanted to bring that to your attention as well, and that just came out today. Um, there's a lot going on, a lot of bills. There's a lengthy list of bills that I could talk about that have just rolled out, and we don't even know what's going to happen to them, but I'll pause and answer questions. Anyone have any questions? Dr. Sinclair? Um, 
Thank you, Dr. Little. There are a number of bills that you mentioned that would have kind of pretty immediate direct impact on the Shawnee Mission Public Schools. So the, um, the bill that is still in the House 2270, or in the Senate 271, the high density at risk, um, that and the number of the other bills that are dealing with the at risk on the House side as well. Um, so there's a there's testimony on the on the district website that has been submitted by Shawnee Mission in relation to some of these bills. At some point, it would be helpful um, for the community to chime in to voice their support or opposition for any particular one of these measures that has such a big impact on our district and our budget. How can we convey, or is there a way for you to help trigger us to know when is the right time? Because some of these. You know, do you do it when it's still in committee or when it's on the floor? Does that make sense? Because some of these bills might be, it might be helpful for our legislators to hear from a larger mass of folks. From right, right. And, and well, part of what, you know, I think that's something we could have a conversation about what, how would this, um, this work out in terms of making that information available. I, I, you know, I'm pleased that the testimonies on the website and those kind of things. It, it's, it's part of, um, some sense of, for example, um, the high density at risk. Clearly, that's a bill that we have a, a, an interest in. We have a, uh, um, we enter testimony, we speak, we talk to the members of the committee. The the um, part of what we do as well, just frankly, working with our our sister school districts and with KASB and USA and those folks that are all part of this process together, is how we don't need ten of us on a bill and like to all come in and testify. So we're trying to be mindful about about what our priorities when 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 we talk internally and about where does the district want to make sure that we have testimony in place, but also it's part of. You know, we don't need seven people saying the same thing and, and trying to be mindful of, of the use of our human resources among all of us up here that are working for the public school system. And so um, I think that, uh, that in uh, the legislative reports that I send over, you're going to get by the, uh, hopefully by the Monday of the week, the, the kind of the key hearings that we know that are coming up, there are links in there to where people can listen in to the, it, it is amazing, you know, four years ago you couldn't do anything and now you can listen to everything that's happening over there and go back and listen to it if you miss it and those kind of things. So I think those are, those are valuable. I think there are uh, some places where, in some committees where it, it is, more helpful for us to save our resources or something. So, for example, you think of the 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 the, the low-income scholarship bill that was passed to, today, which passed eight to four out of that committee. Now, you just have to think back about two years ago. That committee was was killing bills like that on you know seven to nine votes and those kind of things, one or two votes swinging. So, if if you're watching the process, that's a bit about how the nature of, for example, that one committee has changed. And so, for, for something like that to come out of that committee eight to four, our resources are better spent, and frankly, you know, public engagement's better spent when that's on the floor because we we don't have but one, Mississippi, one legislator on on there, just off the top of my head, but we've got a, a large delegation when this issue will reach the House floor and be debated on the floor. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so it's, it's not easy. Right. Are there any further questions? No? Thank you, Dr. Little, for coming this evening. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks. We're moving on to 2.4, public comment.
Um, just to go over the summary, uh, all public comment information cards must be submitted to the clerk of the board at least 10 minutes prior to the start of the meeting. Patrons are encouraged to electronically submit their request to speak at public comment by 3.30 p.m. the Friday before a regularly scheduled Monday board meeting. Instructions for electronic submission can be found at the Board of Education webpage at, on part of the district website. Requests for auxiliary aids or services for persons needing assistance to address the board should be made with appropriate advance notice so we can get them in place. Um, there are a few reminders that help speakers have constructive experiences when presenting their comments. When making your remarks, please come to the podium when your name is called and share your name, city of residency, um, schools that your children attend if applicable, and the name of any group or organization you are representing. Please limit your remarks to three minutes. As I have said in previous meetings, um, it's really important to keep to the three minute timeline in order to make sure that we're in line with First Amendment concerns so that we are applying that restriction to everyone who comes to speak. And in consideration of everyone's time, please select a group spokesperson to represent your interests or you can choose to pass if you so would like to when your name is called if someone else has spoken to your concerns. Written comments and materials can be accepted or will be accepted and should be given to the clerk of the board for distribution and if you would, please ensure there are at least eight copies for distribution. Please make your comments while remaining behind the podium. Complaints regarding students or staff should first be addressed to the administration in accordance with board policy KN complaints. If that procedure has been completed, then the board can consider whether to hear such complaints in executive session in order to protect privacy entrance of students or staff involved. If comments pertain to an item on the meeting's agenda, the board president may ask the superintendent or his or her designee to address those comments at that time or when the item is up for board discussion. And in general, responses from board members will be limited to clarifying questions. And so with that, we will get started. The first speaker this evening is Amanda Kaufman. Amanda, would you please come and speak? My name is Amanda Kaufman, and I resign my position as teacher for the Shawnee Mission School District effective immediately. Several years ago, a good friend decided to leave education, and she said to me, Amanda, teaching is like a bad marriage. You never get your needs met, but you stay in it for the kids. I didn't fully understand what she meant until this past month. Just like a bad relationship, our communication has broken down. You aren't listening. I thought that maybe like a troubled relationship, we could go to counseling, get an outside perspective to work out our differences. But when you failed up to, failed to show up to the conversation but sent your lawyer instead, I finally understood that this just isn't going to work. The kids and I deserve better. Despite the accusation that we as teachers have not been focused on the students during this difficult year, I've been thinking the most about what my students are taking away from watching the way you treat their teachers. Talking to the board or the administrators in this building is like shouting into the wind, and I won't waste my breath. But I would like to address my students, many of whom are watching the live stream tonight. All right, guys, you all know that the most important lesson I want you to take away from your time with me is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Usually I'm applying that lesson to technology violations or intellectual bullying, but it's true in life as well. 
I could accept this contract, smile and stay silent about the lies the district perpetuates about its teachers, but that doesn't mean I should. I hope that in your future relationships, whether they be personal or professional, that you will walk away when you should. Just because you can accept less for yourself doesn't mean you should. Here's another important lesson. Despite what you may be told, respect should not have to be earned. It is owed to you as a human being, especially by those who have power over you in some way. Disrespect in an uneven power dynamic is bullying. When we see bullying, we must stand up and call it out, even when it's hard, even when it comes at a cost. Just because you could stay silent doesn't mean you should. Starting over is never easy. You eighth graders know that well as you prepare for high school. Let me assure you, it only gets harder as you age. But just because you can stay in a familiar place doesn't mean you should. Go chase your dreams. Find your passions. Remember me in your acceptance speeches. But don't worry about me. I'm a highly educated, very talented teacher. They are in high demand right now in other districts. And finally, I don't know what I'll be doing when the bell rings at 8.40 tomorrow morning. But I won't be greeting you in the hallways. Please don't see my empty doorway as a sign that I've abandoned you or that I don't care. That empty doorway is my sign that you are still my favorite humans and I will always be your biggest advocate. There will be no clarifying questions. I don't answer to you anymore. Our next speaker is Jill Johnson. Good evening. My name is Jill Johnson, and I'm a math teacher at Shawnee Mission North. I'm also the NEA vice president and a member of the negotiations team. The new unilateral contract that has been presented as virtually unchanged, with the exception of items that have been mutually agreed to by both teams. However, when you look at the contract language red line, you will find that there are items that have been added. In Article 3, Section B, the board added language that could potentially inhibit the association's ability to stay in contact with the members of the bargaining unit. As the membership chair of NEA Shawnee Mission, I keep track of members and their names and their phone numbers and addresses in order to communicate efficiently and effectively with the bargaining unit. The addition of this new language could be viewed as an effort to stop the union from communicating with the bargaining unit. I know that members of our board have stated that they are pro-union, but this type of language could be seen as union busting. Another change in Article 7, Section A2, the board added language that spoke to moving secondary teachers from six classes to five. This was a huge surprise to our negotiations team because we were told by the district's outside attorney that the board was not interested in adding language to the agreement regarding moving from six to five. Had this language been brought to the table during negotiations, we may have been able to come to an agreement. Finally, I wanna set the record straight. When staff received base salary increases in 2014 and 2017, it was not because we were teaching six out of seven classes. High school teachers began teaching six in the 2010 school year. From 2010 to 2013, there was no increase to the base salary. As well, step movement was frozen in 2010, 2011, and 2013. Column movement was also frozen in 2011. During that time, 
One-year stipends were granted for three of the years, but teachers were teaching an additional class. Ms. Johnson, I believe yes. your three minutes has run. Oh. Is it no, it's not. It just, it just stopped. stopped. It just stopped. Okay, yeah. My apologies. I, I thought you were giving me extra time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So the stipends had been granted for three years, but teachers were teaching an additional class. They were not receiving base increases, and at the same time, they were three steps behind where they should be on the salary schedule. Losing those three steps meant that I earned about $7,000 less over four years. But finally, in 2014, there was a 3.25% increase to the base along with step and movement. But this base increase was not tied to the fact that we were all teaching six classes. It was because there had been no increase for four years and step movement had been frozen for three of those years. Then over the next two years, 2015 and 16, step and column were granted, but there was no increase to the base. Um, then in 2017, Shawnee Mission received an additional $17 million in restored funding, and I was on the negotiation team that year, and we argued that a large portion of our teaching staff had been in the dead zone since 2010. So over the course of seven years, those teachers had only received that 3.25% increase in 2014. And that's why Shawnee Mission and NEA agreed to have a 4% salary increase in 2017. It was not tied to the fact that we were all teaching six classes. These increases were um, how the teachers were starting to receive their version of restored funding. Thank you. Thank you. The next person to speak this evening is Lindsay Atchison. Oh wait, we, we'll wait to start until she gets to the podium, if we can, okay. Hello. My name is Lindsay Atchison and I teach at Arrowhead Day School and I'm a member of the NEA Shawnee Mission Negotiations team. As Jill stated, the new unilateral contract was presented across many platforms as being kept the same out of respect for the teachers. However, some of the changes that have been made, I'm not sure of their purpose and I'm also confused because they were not things that the district chose to notice during negotiations. One of these items is the procedure for when anonymous complaints are filed against a teacher, but after the investigation is found to be untrue. In the previously negotiated agreement, there's language that states, if the complaint is without merit, no record shall be kept. However, in the unilateral contract, this procedure has been altered to say, will not be kept in the teacher's personnel file which means a record could be kept as long as it's not in the teacher's personnel file. If after an investigation, a complaint is found to be false, unfounded, then why would such complaints need to be kept? And by keeping those complaints, it appears that the district is keeping secret files on staff just in case they ever need some leverage or evidence. For what other reason would baseless complaints need to be stored? This is an interesting change and does not appear to be out of respect for teachers or really even a pro-teacher alteration to the contract. Rather, it seems to be the district exerting its power as management over its laborers to place fear in staff over baseless claims that may resurface years down the line to explain why a teacher is inadequate. When staff is told, we value you, we appreciate you, we're on a team with you, how does keeping these false complaints show your appreciation, valuing, 
or teeming with teachers. Instead, it is seen as being anti-teacher and adversarial. If this was a concern the district had, keeping records, then why would this have not come to the negotiations table? Why sneak this in through a unilateral contract? It appears to be a way to work around the association and alter the contract on something that you knew wouldn't be agreed upon by the NEASM team. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Jennifer Danaher. My name is Jennifer Danaher. I teach kindergarten at Krista McAuliffe, and I have a son at Shawnee Mission South High School and a daughter that's a graduate of Shawnee Mission South. Last Thursday, the day after our city came together to celebrate a chief's victory, showing a city united, I went back to work in a district divided. I would say that school has always been my happy place, even when life challenges have happened. Being with students is what brings me joy. But right now, with morale low, I feel sadness as I step through the doors. It's hard to feel encouraged when you feel disrespected and unappreciated by this board and superintendent. On this day, as we worked long hours having hard conversations with parents or celebrating successes with parents at conferences, our board president spoke to the media to explain her decision. Every explanation given to the press and email sent to patrons speaks of an overall increase of 11.7% over three years. This includes step and column movement. It's misleading. And for the average person, hearing these facts from the district makes our teachers seem greedy and unreasonable, which is far from true. I am in the dark hole of the pay scale. If the base salary is not increased, I will receive the same pay for seven years. The contract that was offered will give me a 1% pay increase for this contract year. Last school year, all teachers received a $1,000 stipend instead of a percentage increase. That means I will make less this school year than I did on last year's contract. These are the facts the board does not share with the public. I think if you spoke to most teachers in our district, the bigger concern is class sizes and the number of sections being taught by high school teachers. The three-year unilateral contract offer didn't address these issues for the upcoming school year. Instead of a walkthrough by board members in our schools with pictures being tweeted out, I recommend that this time be well spent. This is an opportunity to research the issues teachers have brought to this board. I recommend the superintendent and board members spend a full day on a block day with a high school teacher in their classroom, only allowed the same bathroom and lunch break as the teacher. I suggest they arrive when the teachers arrive and leave when the teachers leave, maybe help grade six sections of papers. I would like to see them tour our older schools in the district and see the conditions of disrepair in comparison to the CAW. I think they should sit with a student who speaks no English in a classroom and see the challenges for both the teacher and student now that the ELL centers are closed due to budget cuts. I'd like to have our superintendent sit with a principal in a reset room with a student in crisis from home trauma and watch as this is the only option due to minimal behavioral disorder classrooms, again, because of budget cuts. The information being shared with the public is that the district simply does not have the money. I would argue that the money they have is not properly used. And 
ask for the email sent by Dr. Fulton to his staff Friday evening, asking us to play nice and take the high road. Maybe if you'd actually listened to us when we spoke over these last few months, that would have been better received. However, right now it was demeaning. It too sends a message that makes us feel you do not want to hear from us. I teach my students that I will show them kindness and respect and expect the same in return from Dr. Fulton. Kindness will return to you when kindness and respect are shown to your teachers. Thank you. The next speaker this evening is Karen Myers. I'm Karen Myers. I live in Overland Park. I've been an employee of the district for 41 years. I am currently the librarian at Neiman Elementary School. I graduated from Shawnee Mission East, but I won't tell you when. My, my son graduated from Shawnee Mission North. I am also an elementary rep on the union's executive board, and I was a member of the union's negotiation team for 2019 through 2020. I'm here to ask something very simple. There are inaccuracies on the district's information central web page, the page on your website. Their inaccuracies are in two places, and those two places incorrectly state the union's last offer to the board on January 28th, and I would like to see that corrected. The two places that are, it's incorrectly stated is on the breaking news page in the 19th whereas paragraph of the January 31st, 2020 resolution statement. And the other place it's not correct is in the sections that are labeled SM-NEA response to the district proposals. So I have provided with you, for you a written copy of the last proposal so you can get it published. We know from the past that you're very good at getting messages out very quickly after the board meeting, and I am confident that you will rectify this this evening. Thank you. The next speaker this evening is Karen Martellerno. Good evening. I am Karen Martellaro from 8210 Canaan Lake Road in Lenexa, Kansas, where for 28 years I worked hard as an at-home daycare provider to make sure that children in my care had the skills they needed to go off to school. I am disappointed with your decisions regarding our teachers who work harder than I ever did to make sure our children have the skills that they need to continue through life. They deserve better. And the last speaker we have for this evening is Sally Flora. Good evening, President Owsley and members of the board. Thank you to NEA, Shawnee Mission, and the board for all of your hard work put into the negotiation process. We need you both, and you both serve important roles. I have friends up on the dais, but also friends out in this room. As an elected official, I appreciate that the board can only work with the dollars it has. Further, in making its decisions, the board must take into account not only the interests of teachers, but all of the other competing priorities that are critical to a well-functioning and stable school district. 
Moreover, the board's rule requires that it safeguard the financial resources of our district and maintain financial stability. I've reviewed the submissions to the fact finder, the fact finding report, the contract, and the statements provided to Education First. I'm convinced that within the funding constraints presented, the three-year contract is a good contract. Significantly, among other things, it gives 79% of the new money allocated by the Kansas legislature over the next three years directly to teacher compensation. It gives teachers a base raise each of the next three years. It preserves step and column movement and includes a plan to move toward reduced workloads over time. I would love to see the district be in the position to give teachers everything they ask for. I don't think anyone here questions that teachers deserve far more than they get. They've been undervalued by society and have, alongside of our students, weathered decades of concerted attacks on our public schools. None of this is fair, and I understand why they are angry. I'm angry about this history, too. But after years and years of unconstitutionally underfunding our schools, the request of NEA Shawnee Mission would have, as the fact finder found, required deficit spending and led to a substandard fund balance, jeopardizing the financial stability of the district. I understand why our board could not agree to the terms. I'm here to thank the board for taking a hard vote, an unpopular vote. Thank you for looking out for our teachers, our students, and the well-being of our district as a whole. I hope that NEA Shawnee Mission and SMSD will continue to be active in advocating for increased funding for our schools so that we can do better by our teachers in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Concludes public comment for today. There are no items up for discussion this evening, so the next item is our consent items, 4.1. Um, I seek a motion for approval of the consent items. Move for approval of consent. Moved by Brad. Is there a second? Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Approved 7-0. And we move on to 6-1, comments from board members. Are there any comments from board members this evening? Any? Jamie? I came across I came across a quote recently um, that basically we have more in common than our differences um, and I know it feels like we're miles apart right now um, so I look forward to brighter days ahead for our district um, on, a, on a lighter note um, I wanted to give a couple shout outs I had a wonderful tour of Mill Creek uh, we had some really great discussions about deep equity they have a wonderful deep equity coffee um, to discuss issues just around the district that I'm very proud that they're taking that upon themselves um, they're committed to creating a better Shawnee Mission community and I would also like to just give a shout out it is Black History Month um, so I want to thank our black educators for sure thank you um, I know that we all celebrate diversity in our district, and that comes from our educators, our students, and our administration. So um, there's definitely some beautiful strength in that. So, Thank you. Are there any further comments from board members? If not, I, I have a comment. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I should ask Jessica and Sarah on the phone if they have any comments. I can't see them. Yes, not? not right now, no. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted to say if anybody needed the phone number to reach out to HR as they make decisions moving forward, that phone number is 993-6278. And in addition, um, I'm happy to address the issue raised by Lindsay 
um, with regards to the language that was added. Um, it mirrored the language in like the third point under that paragraph that, so there was two contradictory statements, one that it would be eliminated and then one that it would not be kept in a personnel file. And um, exculpatory evidence that proves that someone didn't do anything wrong, if you don't save it and then someone raises the issue again later on down the line, you don't have anything to show that there was no evidence of wrongdoing or a problem. And so if you eliminate exculpatory evidence, it can actually set you up for greater liability down the line. And so the reason to make the language mirror what was in the third point was so as to be able to hold on to information that would protect someone if the complaint was raised again at a later date and time. Um, if you don't hold on to it, then you can't show that you did your due diligence and proved that whatever the allegation was, was baseless. On that note, thank you all for coming this evening. We are moving into executive session, so I'll seek a motion for that from Dr. Sinclair. Um, I move we go into executive session to discuss legal matters with our legal counsel pursuant to exceptions for matters which would be deemed privileged in the attorney-client relationship under COMA, and the board will reconvene in the boardroom at. So if we want a five-minute break. If we can have a five-minute break, and then do we need 30 minutes? Okay, so 7.30. Okay. I'll second that. All those in favor? Aye. 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 I believe that was unanimous. <laughs> I didn't hear any names.